Hi, and welcome back to another exciting episode of Tech Talk here on the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm your host, Arya Lightstone. You're listening to us on NachumSiegel.com, hopefully also on our cool app that you've downloaded from the iTunes Store or from Google Play, if that's the way that you go. As always, we're proud to be sponsored by our good friends at Adorama Camera, more than just a camera store. Please check them out online at Adorama.com or visit them in person at 42 West 18th Street. Um, that's in New York City. So at 42 West 18th Street in New York City. I feel like emphasizing that because on today's show, we have a lot of excitement. Uh, you know, it's post now Sukkot. Uh, people are now getting re-back into the swing of things in terms of the school academic year. And to me, it's really exciting to be able to be broadcasting live from Denver, Colorado with a school that I think is at the forefront of innovative education as well as education technology. And the school was actually founded originally um, as a school that has a deep and abiding connection um, to the state of Israel and to the land of Israel. And we're going to have the opportunity on this show not only to speak to the head of school, but we're going to try something different uh, this show, and we are going to speak to one of their students. And it's not just one of their students, but one of their all-star students who has the ability to speak uh, intelligently and articulately about what the school is like and some of her experience interacting with students from, from many other schools. But I really am I'm going to start off with a curveball. And first of all, Aliza Makovsky, who is now in 11th grade? 10th grade. Thank you. 10th grade at uh, the Denver Academy of Torah High School. Um, I'm really going to start with a curveball. You concluded last year with a immersion trip, which we're going to discuss what that is in a moment, with an immersion trip to Israel. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. We went to, I went to Israel with my ninth grade class and one of my teachers. We toured, we did a little bit of community service. It was, it was really amazing. Amazing trip. And most schools that I'm familiar with, Eliza, will take a trip like that, an international trip to Israel. First of all, many schools don't have that opportunity, but almost all schools take that their their senior year, maybe their junior year, but you went as a freshman and you went with your class freshman specifically that way. Can you speak as as a former freshman who went on this trip, why you feel this trip and the right time to go was at the end of your ninth grade? Well, I'm really glad I went during my freshman year because now as I go into the next few years of my high school and as I start thinking about what I'm going to do after high school, I have the knowledge and I have the connection to Israel so that I can I can think about it when I'm thinking about going to seminary, when I'm when I'm in my Hebrew classes and we're talking about the land of Israel, when I'm in my Tanakh class and we're talking about Israel, I can relate to it, I can talk about the places I've been, I can picture places like that. So I think it's really important, and I'm really glad that I have that experience now to think about throughout the next few years in high school. So one of the, the primary reasons, or one of the reasons that it's an advantage to go earlier in high school as opposed to later in high school, is that the experience that you had there will resonate throughout the rest of your high school years in a, in a theoretical perspective, again, talking about bigger picture, but also talking about practically. When you sit in class and you're referring to... A, B, or C, or probably more apropos, uh, Aleph, Better, Gimel, <laughs> in a specific thing, you'll be able to say, I was there. More importantly, your class can say, we were there. Yeah, exactly. We can all, we can all talk about places we've been. We can talk about the things we learned. We, we did a lot of touring in Yerushalayim. We talked about the history there. And so when we're in Tanakh class and we're talking about the things that are going on in Israel now, we, we know the history behind that, and we can think about it in 
in a bigger picture. We can see the places we've been and we can we can talk about it together. Okay. So that I think is interesting. The reason why I wanted to lead off with that is that the high school that Aliza attends, I think was set up, and we'll hear from the head of school in a little bit, um, but was set up with a different model in mind. And one of the reasons I think it was is that we're in Denver, Colorado. It's not the largest of communities, and, and that is not the largest of schools and not the largest of communities. Um, but quote-unquote, what it lacks potentially in numbers, it makes up, right? It's not about uh, uh, quantity. It's about quality. And, uh, and Elisa, describe, if you will, sort of like what a day um, or, or sort of an overview. Yeah, let's start with this. Let's start with an overview of what you think that high school provides that's unique versus some of the other more typical high schools in the country. Wow. Okay. I'd say the one thing that comes to my mind when I think about our high school is that we're all, we're kind of like a family. Like when I show up in the morning, it's not just that I'm talking to teachers and I'm talking to my peers. We're all, we're, we're siblings. We're we're all, we all have these connections to each other. We've had so many experiences together that help us relate to one another. Um, we do a lot of team building. We, we just had a day of that yesterday, actually. And I just feel like we're all, we're all one big group of people that are so cohesive. We can, so, we can work together so much that it allows us to, it allows our learning to be, to, how do you say this? It, it allows our learning to be easier, I think, because when we have discussions with one another, we're comfortable enough to talk about things, to have to have disagreements, and to work through different different ideas together. Um, working in groups is really fun because everyone's your friend. I don't know. I think it's a really I think it's really helpful to be in a community in a school that that works together so much, and to have so many friends across the different grades. That we're, when we when we actually sit down in the classroom. You're able to have more discussions. You're able to really have a more interesting lesson, I think. So a significant part of the growth academically comes from the, the feeling of cohesiveness, the culture in the school. So just for the people who are listening, because I wouldn't believe it if I didn't see it. When you talk about we're like a family, you're not talking about just your grade. You're talking about students across all ages and the teachers and administration. Did I hear that correctly? Yes, completely. I mean... Well, can I, I'll give an example. Yesterday, um, we had a Sukkot kind of team building day in preparation for a trip we're taking. And um, I was in a group of people. I think there was one person from each grade. And we created this really cool contraption. And we were, we were playing around with different science ideas and different physics ideas. And I had so much fun. It was, it was like one of the most fun days in school this year. And I was hanging out with people from different grades. It was um, people that I maybe don't talk to on a regular, I wouldn't have talked to on a regular basis if I wasn't in a school like this, but I end up being like best friends with a senior and a freshman and a junior and all of my sophomore friends, of course. And I don't know, we're all, we all hang out together. We're all a big group. And that strikes for the culture of learning because at the end of the day, while it was team building, there was a net outcome from the project that was involved with. And I think that's a good segue in order to get in terms of, I think they call it project-based learning and every school sort of calls it something else. Can you describe for the listeners out there, Aliza, you know, I, I don't picture at least your high school as, as nine to five behind the desk, <laughs> typical learning. So I don't feel it's that way. So describe a little bit what that's like and, and sort of, you know, as a as a sophomore, what it's like to be in that environment. Well, we have, um, every time we're in a classroom and we learn something, there's usually, there's some sort of project, there's some sort of thing that we do at the end, not usually 
Now you'll have papers once in a while, but most of the time it's different projects, it's slideshows, it's presentations, it's things like that. We have a specific class where we each get to choose our own topic and learn about whatever we want and present it. And then you have days we have... Wait a second, what does that mean? You get a class, you can pick any subject you want? Yeah, it's called, it's called SCOPE. I'm not actually sure what that stands for. Not, neither do I. What, 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 was, what was your subject? Um, right now... Oh, right now I'm learning about Operation Solomon. Okay. And um, last year I did the ethics of premature babies, and I did something else. You can you can literally choose whatever you want. Um, you Jewish or secular? Yeah. When you are when you're a freshman, this doesn't apply. But for the final three years of high school, um, you have you have to connect your topic to some sort of Jewish source, some some sort of Jewish idea. Um, but yeah, you, you, we learn about our topics really independently. You get help from whatever teacher really um, connects to your topic. And then we'll present to the rest of the school um, in a couple weeks, I think. And this is a something that's an ongoing class throughout the year, so you'll pick more than one subject. So this concept of scope seems really interesting to me, Eliza. And, and you picked, you just said that you're going to be presenting in a couple of weeks on Operation Solomon. So you'll have another subject that you'll have a chance to pick uh, later in the year? Yeah, it kind of depends on how the school year works out. I think last year I did two or three, and hopefully this year I'll do two or three, maybe four. Um, yeah, we do lots of projects. And you get to see also what your friends have chosen to study. Is Do any of their subjects or, or projects sort of jump off the table and say, wow, I didn't know that that person would be interested in this? Completely. The, the interesting thing about this, about scope, is that people choose topics that are so, so random. People try to find things that they would have never thought about unless they had this opportunity. And so when I'm listening to their presentations, I'm learning about things that I would have never even asked a question about. But all of a sudden, like, this whole new world, this whole new idea is opened up to me. And I can start thinking about it. I can start applying it to what I'm learning every day. I can start talking about it, start learning more if it's something that's interesting to me. I love, there's certain students um, who have specific topics that interest them. And I love watching their presentations over time because you'll see um, I have one friend who does so many um, interesting projects about the brain, about neuroscience, um, and it's so interesting to see the different things that she learns and how over time she's sort of added on to her knowledge about the brain, and she has more information and and more knowledge as she keeps having more and more presentations. So I really love watching that. For, for those of you listening at home, and obviously nobody else is listening here other than the engineer, Elise and myself, but you have to... And I don't know if I can accurately describe the enthusiasm that Eliza is describing in terms of her friends' projects. And to me, that's touching for a number of different reasons. I don't remember ever being that excited about anything that I learned in school. But to be able to have that excitement for what she saw her friends learn uh, and what she in turn learned from their presentations, I think, is really, really remarkable. I'm now going to be the skeptic um, <laughs> and say... Is it possible that the person who's not motivated, obviously, Eliza, you're a very motivated and bright, um, uh, eager student. I can't imagine everybody is like that in the school. So is, is scope sort of like, uh, you know, I guess when, when I took gym in high school, you know what I'm saying? Like, it was great. If I wanted to play ball, that's awesome. It was a freebie. Just describe how scope works maybe for some of those who, who are less, um, academically uh, interested. Those are probably the most interesting scope projects to watch because you'll have kids who don't want, they're not interested in maybe something like neuroscience because 
it sounds too complicated. The idea sounds too complicated. So they'll learn about the most interesting things. Last year we had a presentation, I believe on shampoo. And I would have, this is one of those things, I would have never wondered what shampoo was. I would have never done a project on that. And now all of a sudden this kid who, who kind of just wanted to have fun with his project, wasn't so interested in learning, he now knows what shampoo is and now the entire school understands the concepts of shampoo. And it was like the funniest presentation to watch. It was so interesting. And yeah, it was like that. And that's that student learned and gained from that experience. Yeah, it was great. It was yeah, it was fantastic. This kid who probably at the beginning he wasn't so interested in doing a skill project. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure exactly. But he ended up with a topic that it sounded funny at the beginning and ended up being really educational and really interesting. So there's got to be credit out there. Maybe we'll pick the brains of the head of school later on to have a teacher embrace a student who comes and says, I want to study more about shampoo. Now, as an aside, I saw on Twitter, and those of you not yet following me on Twitter, please do do so, at Lightstone A. So follow me on Twitter, at Lightstone A. Somebody tweeted an interesting marketing concept. There's this idea out there that rinse, lather, and repeat, I think is the is one of the themes of shampoos. And the person on Twitter cited a study, I don't believe it was your friend, Eliza, um, that that is one of the best marketing techniques of all time, that double shampooing your hair doesn't actually do anything to your hair. It's a way to make you go through the bottle faster so you buy more shampoo, which I thought out of all marketing things I've heard of, that was brilliant. Um, I don't know if that's true. I, if, if you shampoo twice out there, um, don't stop because of me. Uh, it was tweeted and not everything on Twitter is real or accurate. I just thought... Hey, maybe that makes sense. Uh, that I'm digressing a little bit too far, so we're going to get back to you, Eliza. What role does technology play uh, to you as a student? Uh, what tools does the school give you, and how do you think that makes you or enables you to be a better student or doesn't enable you to be a better student? Um, well, at the beginning of your high school career, each student is given a MacBook Pro, I believe, um, which is your technically your computer for the for the next four years. We don't keep them over the summer. We don't keep them when we go on trips. I think you can, we keep them when we have vacation, like um, short vacations, like winter break. Um, and there's certain things you can't do on them, but they're mostly for you to use for whatever you want. And we use, most of the time when I use my computer, I'm using Google Drive, Google Docs, stuff like that. Um, which I really love because if I ever have an issue with my computer, I can just log on somewhere else and, and use the document. Or if I want it, most importantly, if I'm sharing a document with someone else, I use it. Talk, talk about that for just one minute. Is there a lot of sharing of documents? When I grew up, that was called cheating. <laughs> so so tell, tell me what that means and what that looks like in terms of leveraging that technology. And I think the uh, word that a lot of people are throwing around these days is collaboration. We have... We have a lot of, of group projects, a lot of group work. I think the teachers obviously think this through and they choose, they try to have as much group work as possible while still allowing students to shine on their own, giving them projects on their own, giving them assessments on their own so we, they can see how the students are doing in the class on the, um, by themselves. But we have, a, we have a lot of projects that we do together, a lot of things that, um, like, I'll write something and my friend will edit it for me. Um, it's also really helpful with, with teachers. If I do something, if I, if I write a paper, if I write a story and I need it to be edited, I can just share the document with my teacher. And then we don't have to worry about having different revisions of the document, different, I don't know different files. It's, I don't even know what it's uh, called. I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm having flashbacks. I remember we had something that got edited three, four times, and you, you turn in this version, and then it was that version, and there was a whole editing review of that. 
guess that doesn't exist anymore. Not at all. That's that's so that's interesting. And and from a, do you feel that there is a, I don't know the best way to articulate this, but that that by having the technology tools and the the school entrusting you with them, that you have more ownership over your education. That's an interesting question. Um. I'd say it kind of, it allows each person to personalize their education, to individualize the way, the way that they learn. You can choose which tools to use and which tools not to use. When you're given a project, no, generally, you're not being forced to use technology or you're not being forced to use a specific type of technology. In scope, they say, give us a presentation. You could do that however you want. You could do it on, you could do it on the whiteboard or you could use a Prezi or you could use a slideshow. It's really, it's your choice. Um, and you can also you can use the technology to access tools without being told to. So personally, in math class, when I'm struggling, I use um, different websites with videos about um, like I use Khan Academy, I use things like that to help me. And it's not something that anyone's making me do, but I'm given when you're given the the laptop and when you're given the tools and I'm given the links to the websites, I'm able to choose to to use those websites. I'm able to choose to use the different tools to help myself in the the areas that I'm struggling, the areas that I'm interested in. Anything like that. Okay, I want to remind our listeners that you're listening to Tech Talk here on the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm your host, Arye Lightstone. We have Aliza Makovsky from the Denver Academy of Torah High School with us this hour. You're listening to us on NachumSiegel.com. As always, we are very proud to be sponsored by our friends at Adorama Camera. More than just a camera store, please check them out online at Adorama.com or visit them in person at 42 West 18th Street. Special reminder, if you haven't downloaded our app, please download our app from the iTunes Store or the Google Play Store. And if you're not following me on Twitter, please follow me on Twitter at Lightstone A for exciting updates about what's going on in the world of tech and specifically here on Tech Talk on the outstanding Nachum Siegel Network. So, Aliza, we don't have a lot of time left, but I wanted to ask you one or two more questions. You mentioned math. You can use additional resources. Your math class isn't necessarily a traditional math class. Is that right? Um, sort of. Half of our math classes look like traditional math classes. We have, you have the teacher and you have the students, and um, the teacher uses the textbook as an aid, and everybody's um, learning traditionally. Um, but there are many math classes, math classes uh, <laughs> that um, are are on the computer. Last year, I took my class um, using a program called Alex, and you work through the curriculum on your own. There's a teacher in the classroom who can um, who can help you with any topics that you're having a difficult time with. If there's multiple students that are kind of in the same area, then there might be short lessons on things that are that are hard to understand. Um, but what I really loved about that program was that you can move at your own pace. If there's something that you understand, you can spend an hour on it, and if there's something that's really difficult, you can spend a couple days on it. And it allows everybody to to find the areas with the, where they're struggling and to work to work more on those areas and to kind of speed through the things that they've already understood, they've already learned. So the final question, and thank you, Eliza, for that answer. Uh, the final question I've got for you, and again, we're with Eliza Makovsky, a sophomore, although you wouldn't know it if you were sitting here with her at um, Denver Academy of Torah High School. Look, high schools, everybody does this. Everybody evaluates, and I don't want to say the grass is always greener, but people, the world is small. You know students in Toronto and New York and Cleveland and L.A. and everywhere in between. Um, what comment would you make to s sort of e explain some of the benefits that you think that you receive in the Dot High School while it is a smaller and, and, and a different type of culture 
uh, in the school. What what takeaway would you give to other tenth graders or more likely parents of tenth graders listening to the show at this point in time? Um, about our school. About your school, about your experiences growing up in, in at Denver Academy of Torah, specifically in this different type of modeled school, middle middle or high school. I'd say. Well, I'd say I'm really lucky to be in a school like this because I have the opportunity to learn from my peers and to learn from my teachers in a way that not all students have. Not everybody's comfortable enough with everybody in their school and everybody in their community to to learn from them and to talk to them all the time. So I really appreciate that. Um, I think it's really helpful in my learning. And I think the opportunities I'm given through the, the technology and through through um, all of the different things that we do in my school that are a little bit different, gives me the opportunity to learn about things that I'm interested in, gives me the opportunity to to experience experience the world in different ways than just in the classroom. Okay. And just, just to conclude that idea for the listening audience, I offered to go pick up Aliza uh, to bring her into the studio for an interview today, and she recommended walking. Uh, her and her class are going on an immersion trip to the Grand Canyon in uh, in a couple of weeks, and there's X amount of uh, miles that they have to walk uh, each day in preparation for this trip. Um, which I thought was interesting when she called and said she'd rather walk. I'm like, I'm more than happy to drive. She goes, I'll explain when I get there. So Aliza, on behalf of all the listeners on the Nachum Siegel Network, we wish you lots of luck, uh, not only in high school, but uh, but in the Grand Canyon specifically. <laughs> and uh, and we're excited about hearing uh, uh, really wonderful things about you and all of your, uh, your classmates. So thank you for joining us uh, during this hour of Tech Talk. Thank you so much for having me. Have a great day. Okay. Hi, and welcome back to another exciting episode of Tech Talk here on the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm your host, Arya Lightstone. You are listening to us on NachumSiegel.com or on our outstanding app that you've downloaded either in the iTunes Store or at Google Play. If you haven't done that, pause whatever you're doing right now, run and download that app. It really enhances the listening experience. I wanted to remind all of the listeners out there, please follow me on Twitter, at LightstoneA. Uh, you'll hear or see, probably see, uh, some interesting updates about the show. Just a couple weeks ago, we uh, tweeted out some discount codes for the Nucleus Intercom, which was pretty interesting. We had on the CEO, founder, and inventor of Nucleus Intercom. And uh, check it out, NucleusIntercom.com, uh, for a chance to see what Yonatan Frankel created. It is pretty interesting and I think has applications to, to most schools and homes that are out there. Uh, we are proud here on Tech Talk to be sponsored by our good friends at Adorama Camera, more than just a camera store. Please check them out online at Adorama.com or vi- visit them in person at 42 West 18th Street. Here on the Nachum Siegel Network, oftentimes we have an opportunity to go different places and meet different people. And today, um, broadcasting live from Denver, we actually here in the hub of education, Jewish education here in Denver at the Denver Academy of Torah. And we are blessed to be joined by the head of school of Denver Academy of Torah, Rabbi Daniel Alter. Rabbi Alter, welcome and thank you for joining us. Thanks. Great to be here. Well, we're excited to have you. Uh, just for all of our listening audience out there, um, Rabbi Alter has been in Denver for nearly 15 years. Yep. Something like that. He and his wife have served as the cornerstone of the growth of education through that decade and a half here in Denver. 
there's probably not a student, uh, parent, community member who hasn't been touched in some way, shape, or form uh, by their participation in building and growing the community and really beginning with the kids, beginning with the foundation of education. Uh, and he's actually, this is his last year as the, uh, the head of school at Denver Academy of Torah. Next year, we'll be beginning his first official year as the head of school at Moriah uh, in northern New Jersey. And I thought for those reasons, Rabbi Alter is the perfect guest here as we sort of jump back into the swing of the school year post-Sukkis, post-the-Sukkis holiday now. The school year, quote-unquote, really starts, uh, especially on the East Coast where it didn't start till after Labor Day here in Denver. I think it's already started like six weeks before uh, Rosh Hashanah, but neither here nor there. Uh, and Rabbi Alter can give us an interesting perspective on the benefits and challenges of technology, both in uh, a non-tri-state area school and one that's really at the focal point of the tri-state area. So we're, we're excited to have that conversation. So first of all, Rabbi Alter, would, would you just sort of explain to the audience kindly, um, you know, how you made education the cornerstone of your um, platform here in Denver? It wasn't necessarily how you originally right. came here. Yeah, sure. So my training is actually the Congregational Rabbinate. I came out here in 99 to be a shul rabbi of what was at the time the modern Orthodox shul in town. Uh, we began to see some really significant and exciting and dynamic growth. Uh, at the same time, the school was struggling. And in a mid-sized community, one of the things you realize is that uh, education, your children, are the future of any community, both in terms of the children themselves as well as um, the opportunity to get families to move to your community. So with the school struggling, there we sort of agreed, since I was a known entity, the school was just going through head of school after head of school. So we agreed for me to become an interim head of school, really what was initially going to be for a year. That became two years. Um, after four years, uh, my board president at the school uh, said to me, um, you've been here four years in an interim head of school. It's longer than any previous serving head of school. We really need to think about this, at which point we basically agreed that I should jump into the world of Jewish day schools. And in what way was that similar to your training as a congregational rabbi versus in a midtown community are the roles interchangeable? Are they critical to be working together? Expl explain for, for our tri-state area listening audience a little bit of the nuances there. So it's actually funny. I, I would argue that they're totally different jobs in terms of skill set, personality, in so many levels. Uh, the funny thing is most people have no clue. They figure, oh, it's a rabbi, right? They can, they can run a shul. They can run a school. So from day one, I had a very quick learning curve. Um, thankfully, we had another administrator in the school, Dr. Peggy Kaslov, who was a strong administrator, and the two of us were able to work together uh, really well from day one. But it's been fascinating because being involved in both the school and the shul world, I feel like each one has a tremendous amount to teach to the other. Um, and often, I think we live in a world of silos where those type of relationships aren't strong enough and we're really not learning from each other. So that's interesting, especially in a, uh, maybe even in larger than mid-sized communities. But here in Denver, I know that there is a special synergy in between at least one of the shuls and the school, meaning that certainly they share a, a campus, share a location. But what was the impetus, if you will, or can you describe sort of that relationship for those who haven't had a chance to, to visit, or really call it the Denver Academy of Torah community, because it is, I think, more than a, just a school. 
Yeah, sure. So when we began, we knew that it was critical for the school and shul to have a strong relationship. And it's sort of an obvious thing when you think about it. Um, if you're raising a child, you know, it, it takes a village, right? It's the village raising the child. So doesn't it make sense to have the school, the shul, the family all on the same page with similar goals, similar vision, and actually working together? I'll give you like a simple example. You know, we talk about this in, in terms of tefillah. Right, so most Jewish day schools have a methodology for how they teach tefillah. We've worked on that at Denver Academy of Torah for many years. We have a methodology, uh, but most schools teach weekday tefillah. We don't focus that much on Shabbat tefillah. That often is the work of the Shabbat morning youth program. Wouldn't it make sense, and Shabbat morning youth programs are often run by your 15, 16-year-old teens. Wouldn't it make sense for the teachers at the school to train the Shabbat morning youth leaders in the methodology so there's a consistency and the students are learning in the same way, both the Shabbat morning davening as well as the daily davening? That's just sort of an obvious example, but I think it's true for Midot as well. Fascinating. There are studies. If you, if you look at the studies that have been done, um, they've done studies on some of the best character development programs in the public school world, and what they've discovered, unfortunately, is that they are largely ineffective. Uh, and that's a very, very simple reason, because much of character development happens at the home. So whatever schools do in terms of Mido development, Mido building, if you don't have buy-in from the shul, which which has, I would argue, a stronger reach into the home, then you're not going to be successful. So it, in some ways, it's sort of an obvious thing that the community as a whole should be working together. We need to start thinking communally rather than institutionally. See, that's an interesting thing, and I, and I feel that tri-state area, maybe LA, Chicago, Miami, sort of the core large communities, maybe aren't forced to think that way. And and to a degree, I think in 2008, when the economy really turned, I think there was an impetus to do it, but I don't think it actually happened. I, I know New, New Jersey had New Jersey kids, and I think there was an attempt, and maybe it's even successful, that, that I, I'm speaking out of turn here, in order to really unify the community, both for cost perspective, but also unity of message. And as Rabbi Alter is pointing out, um, if you want to teach character development improvement traits, um, there needs to be a unified message that really goes across the board. And I think that's uh, that's really important. However, none of that is the theme or the real reason why we're here on Tech Talk. It just has to be something that, uh, that I think is fascinating. And I'm sure that Rabbi Alter can lend a lot more to the conversation over these airwaves. Um, but I wanted specifically your opinion, Rabbi Alter, on how Denver Academy of Torah and you got involved in what I would say cutting-edge education technology. Why did you decide to do it? What was it? And how's it going? Sure. So let me start with a little bit of information about um, a grant we received along with four other schools around the country. Um, there's a program called the BOLD Grant, B-O-L-D, uh, and it was funded, it is funded by three major foundations. One is Avichai. The second is Kohelet, and the third is Affordable Jewish Education, who have literally um, invested millions of dollars in what is, I think, sort of an R&D-type program to move five established schools, ours being one of them, into a blended learning model. Um, they had they had numerous goals. One of them was financial savings, to see whether this was a model that would work for Jewish day schools, to try to impact on sort of the tuition challenge, um, and, and also just to see in terms of, you know, whether technology is the future of Jewish education. So that's sort of the starting point. So we applied for the grant and received it. 
Um, they picked a diversity of schools, both in smaller communities, larger communities, uh, schools that were small themselves, schools that were larger. We applied specifically for our elementary school, our K through eight, not for our high school, um, and received the grant. And we're now in year two of that grant, along with the four other Jewish day schools. So out of curiosity, why did you decide, and I remember the application process was, we'll call it thorough, um, and uh, it, it was exactly that, willing to be a guinea pig, willing to be part of a research and development project. Why did you think that it was important for this school, these teachers, these students, this community at this point in time? So, so I, I think I could, I could argue pretty definitively that, that technology um, is the future of education and will play a larger and larger role in Jewish education and education as gen- in general as, as time moves on. Uh, I, I think one way of thinking about it is there's the theory and the practice. When you think about the theory, any teacher, when you describe the theory to them, will sal- literally salivate. You know, when you talk about what technology theoretically could be doing, every teacher wants to teach to every child. Every teacher recognizes that we need to move away from this factory model where you're teaching to the middle, right? So the kids who are struggling are bored. The kids who are thri- sorry, the kids who are thriving are bored. The kids who are struggling can't keep up. We, you know, differentiation is something that teacher has been working working on for for a long time now. Technology allows us to do all that. Um, and that's what's so exciting about it. So there's no question that it's the future. The question that's probably more interesting to your listeners um, is whether technology is the present, right? And like most uh, game changers, that's not such an easy question to answer. So I can tell you a little bit about our experience. Um, I, I would say that blended learning is relatively new. What blended learning very simply is, I, the, the, the definition keeps changing, but basically what it is, is it's a mixture of using uh, in-person teachers and online learning. Now, it, it's a relatively new endeavor so that it is changing at an incredibly rapid pace. Uh, and that's one of the challenges that exists, right? You, you have to constantly be on your toes, and it's still relatively immature and unsophisticated. Um, think to bit like when textbooks started coming out, right? Early textbooks had flaws in them. So many of the blended learning programs do have flaws in them as well, and that's one of the issues that we continue to try to navigate as we move forward, despite the fact that we're seeing tremendous potential, tremendous opportunity, even in the present. Right, so the question is not necessarily about the future. You're sold on the future. I have to imagine your constituency is also sold on the future. How do you deal with the day-to-day frustrations, um, I'm assuming that they occur, with the, if you can walk me through, the student, the teacher, and the parent. As a head of school, which one gets frustrated the most, and how do you potentially address that? Because if I'm a parent, that's great. In two years, it might be great. My kid's going to be in college in two years from now. or not in your school. They'll be in middle school or high school, whatever else it will be. A teacher, obviously, the same thing. And a student, they're students. So how, how, do, you, how do you deal with that? So we can pick a- any of the three. Um, let's start with students, because that's actually, ironically, the easiest. There are situations where our teachers are stuck with something, and the students are the ones helping them. The, our students are living in a very different world today. Uh, we don't even know what's going to be by the time these students, a kid in sixth grade, by the time they get to college, which is not that far off, you know, the, the chances are that they will be taking 
all of them will be taking online courses in some fashion when they're in college. So in some ways, we're just preparing them. Even if we have certain frustrations today, we are bettering, better preparing them now for their college experience, and they will have advantages over those kids who have not been exposed to uh, technology on the same level. That's in terms of the students. Uh, teachers, a lot of it's buy-in. It's very interesting. You, you'll see there are a lot of schools where blended learning is not working, and the number one cause is teachers. Uh, it's very hard. If you've been teaching for 10, 15, 20 years in a certain fashion, certain style, and all of a sudden there's a methodology or, or, or more appropriately tools that are brought in that could potentially radically change the way you teach, that's not an easy transition. Um, and there's a tremendous amount of professional development that has to happen for teachers to be successful. Uh, the parent issue was an issue that we struggled with a little bit. Our first year, we were so focused on the technology and the teachers and the students, we probably didn't focus enough on the parents. Uh, so we've learned from our mistakes, and this year we're doing a number of parent workshops in the next two months, including opportunities for, we have one evening, I think, in a few weeks, where parents are coming in, and they're going to, we're going to simulate um, a, a number of classes for them, where they will get on the computer and actually experience what it means to learn in a blended learning environment. In their mind, th those who are nervous about it say, well, this is not the way I learned, right? The way I learned, I became a doctor or a lawyer, so I, I'm nervous. This is unfamiliar territory to me. Um, and what does it mean? I think teachers are important. How can you not have teachers? So these are opportunities for us to, to really address those issues and engage the parents. And the parents so far are really excited about those opportunities. I think that's very innovative and probably will be very exciting. We'll be checking back in with Rabbi Alter to hear how that goes. I want to remind our listening audience that you are listening to Tech Talk here on the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm your host, Arya Lightstone. We have a special guest with us, head of school of Denver Academy of Torah, right here out of Denver, Colorado, uh, Rabbi Daniel Alter. You are listening to us on NachumSiegel.com or on our app that you've downloaded. Again, if you haven't downloaded, go straight to the iTunes Store or the Google Play Store and download the Nachum Siegel app. As always, we are proud to be sponsored by our friends at Adorama Camera. More than just a camera store, please check them out online at Adorama.com or visit them in person at 42 West 18th Street. You know, things sort of go full circle, Rabbi Alter, and as the congregational rabbi, you certainly know that. The interesting thing I'd like you to speak to is that most people will extol the virtues of excellent congregational rabbis as somebody who can inspire, somebody who can move a community, somebody who can bring people to a call to action. Oftentimes, management is not one of those things that they excel in. And here you just described really a change management situation that, uh, that again, from the objective outside view over here, it does sound like you've got significant buy-in. How were you able to pull that off? What, what skills did you bring to the table? How did you, how did you get the team to buy in? And then we're going to drill down about the Judaic team also. Right. Yeah, so I'll give you just a, an interesting, like, story, right? When I made the switch from congregational rabbinate to head of school, uh, there was, there was a feeling of, Lack of control. And what I mean by that is the following. A shul rabbi, and this is similar to many professions, shul rabbi basically controls their own time, right? Maybe they have a secretary, but they don't have a, a staff really that they are managing, in most orthodox shuls at least, right? So you're running all these exciting programs, but really at the end of giving shiurim, at the end of the day, you're controlling your own time. You move into a school environment where you have tens of um, employees who are working for you, and obviously you can't be in every classroom at, you know, at once. 
Um, in, in that type of situation, all of a sudden, you have to really rely on them to a large extent, trust in them, uh, work to train them so that they can, you know, in an autonomous way, do what the school sort of vision, what the school sort of envisions or what the school wants from them. Uh, I think it's very similar here. For a teacher who is used to really controlling their environment, right? They're the teacher. They're standing up in front, giving that class. All of a sudden, they have 20 students who are all on computers, um, probably at different places in the curriculum, possibly even um, following different curriculums. It becomes very overwhelming at first, right? That's a, that's a significant change. So I, I feel like giving up some of that control is really critical. And we know, all the studies show, that, that that's, that's a critical piece of education, right? We, of course, want to empower our students. We want them to be able to control their learning. And that's one of the advantages of using technology. Students can much better control their own learning. So I feel like that shift is one that's important. I'll be honest with you, there's some teachers who don't want to or are uncomfortable doing it. You know, when we started this, we actually were lucky in that we were, at the same time, hiring one or two teachers. We specifically looked for teachers who we thought would thrive in this type of environment. And maybe one can make an argument that uh, that having a medium-sized school in a medium-sized community in some way, shape, or form allows that culture to permeate, that one or two hires might get lost in a very large school, but one or two hires where everybody can sort of look around and say, aha, this is the type of team member. Um, do you think that being this size school has enabled you guys to succeed in the bold movement um, in a in a more effective or more uh, efficient fashion. Yeah, there's no question that that being smaller makes it much easier. It's interesting because one of the things that the bold funders were interested in seeing was uh, they had been involved to date in a few years ago in starting a number of blended learning schools, Jewish schools. And this was for them the next step to see, you know, could they transform a more traditional school into a blended learning school? Uh, and I think they, one of the lessons they've learned is that um, it's much easier, first of all, to start from the ground up. Um, but for that matter also, it's a lot easier to, you know, to navigate a ship and, and make a sharp right or left turn when you're smaller. There's no question about that. Right. So that that's probably at least one of the interesting uh, learning outcomes from that situation. Um, in terms of, you know, one of the uh, missions or foundations of the foundations was to eventually be able to see some sustainability uh, in terms of schools. And I know that in mid-sized communities, that is a major issue. Um, can you speak to, do you see it today? Do you see it tomorrow? Do you see it maybe in five, ten years from now that this is a way to increase the sustainability of non-tri-state area schools? So we've actually spent a tremendous amount of time on this question. Um, it's a complicated question. Uh, there are a number of, of potential savings, right? And, and some of them have nothing to do with us necessarily, the fact that technology is getting more affordable by the day. You know, we use uh, Google Chromebooks in our school. A Google Chromebook costs $250. Uh, once you start putting textbooks on a Google Chromebook, you're, on, uh, you're, you're immediately saving money because, you know, school textbooks are significantly more expensive. So, so there's some obvious savings. You know, we just bought a new server about a year and a half ago and are pretty confident that this is going to be our last server because everything is moving to cloud-based. So we're not going to have to spend money on a server. And, and the, the biggest issue is IT support. As things become more cloud-based, 
our IT support costs continue to, to become less and less. And, and that was one of the major expenses um, because now when we have a problem, we'll call one of the companies or providers. We don't have to call our IT person. So, so that's on the positive side. The other piece also is that um, there's more independence, right? So students can be working at their own pace. Now, a question, a question partly is how ambitious one wants to be at this point in time, because who knows what technology will look like in 10 years from now. But for now, if a teacher wants to really use technology to its fullest, in my mind, that means, among other things, allowing students to move at their own pace. Um, and that includes even if they want to go home and do an hour of homework a night so they can cover two, potentially two or three years of, uh, uh, you know, in one year, which we've seen some of our students do. You know, we started using online math in our high school, I want to say about four years ago, and have numerous students who will cover two years of math in one year, right, easily. So um, the challenge then becomes, think about it this way, you have a teacher now who has, let's say, 20 students in a class and is essentially teaching 20 different classes. So it ends up sometimes being a, a larger burden on the teacher rather than a, a smaller burden on the teacher because they have to work with each of those students and make sure they are, you know, sort of observing, observing and monitoring their progress. Right. But I, I imagine as technology improves, part of that will be dealt with by the – there will be some level of automation for that. Uh, the second thing is just the flip side of what Rabbi Alter just pointed out. And as a reminder, we're here talking with Rabbi Alter, the head of school of Denver Academy of Torah, uh, based here in Denver, Colorado, that he just made a, a – I don't want to say a throwaway comment, but to me was <laughs> – pretty enlightening that there are not one student, it was an exception of students who were able to do uh, multiple years of math in one year vis-a-vis uh, -vis learning with technology, online learning, which means to me if they weren't in that class, they would have been half as effective or half as efficient as they were able to be with this independent study. And that's, I know, is, is over-exaggerating the situation. Maybe they would have gone into more depth into some subject or maybe a little bit more breadth in another area. Uh, but the core curriculum that needs to be covered, they were able to basically double that because they were motivated and they were independent learners. So I, thought, I think that's uh, interesting and exciting. I'd like you to speak for a moment, Rabbi Alter, please, to the concept of where does technology play a role in Limude Kodesh, in Judaic studies? Um, and I know as, as somebody who, who grew up in Denver and, and to a degree was always considering leaving for other educational pastures that had less to do with math and science opportunities that had more to do with Judaic studies opportunities. So how do you, how do you balance that? Where do you see the future of that? Right. So I think there are two questions. Well, question number one is where does technology play a role? And question number two is where should technology play a role? So I'll, I'll address the second one first, where technology should play a role. Um, I think that it's unfortunate that when it comes to Judaics, we are significantly behind. I would say light years, but since this world is so new, it's probably only two or three years behind. But it feels, um, like, it feels like light right, years, Right, but it correct? feels, from the teacher's perspective, it feels like light years. I can tell you our Judaic teachers are jealous and frustrated over what they see in the secular world. Now, there's a very simple reason for that challenge, uh, and I think a simple solution. The, the reason for the challenge is because we don't have the same market. Right, So if I'm put, working on a math program and science program, the market is huge. Right, You're talking about potentially millions around the world, whereas the Jewish day school world is, is much, much smaller. 
Um, I think the answer is very simple. The answer is foundations. There are a number of foundations that are are supporting Jewish education in significant ways and have the capacity to move the industry forward in significant ways. And I think every Jewish day school in the country should be pushing these foundations and these funders to really invest in, in these ways. Uh, the same thing that's happening in secular studies can and should be happening in Judaic studies. And what's the net benefit when it does start happening in Judaic studies, if it does get there? So I think there's a net benefit and there's a potential loss in it not happening. So I'll I'll address the second one first. The loss in it not happening, um, I think there are those who have overstated the potential loss. But I think a fair statement would be that it would be unfortunate if we can create engaging, dynamic content um, in secular studies on the computer and not have that in Judaics. That would be truly unfortunate. That's a potential loss. In terms of potential gain, I think it's the exact same potential benefits. Um, just for our students to enhance their skills, to achieve far more, to begin to utilize their time. I think the empowerment question is huge because students will have far more choice in what they learn and when they learn and will, as a result, every study has shown when, when they are empowered in that way, they are more engaged in their Judaics and, and, of course, that's what every Jewish day school wants. So to me, it's a given that we need this. We just have to make sure that the appropriate funders are investing in this so that it actually becomes a reality. Am I making too large of a leap, Rabbi Alter, based upon what you're saying that, that you know, we, we've gone through various different times that we complain about a universal issue in the day school world. Uh, for a while, was a disenfranchisement that we wound up with graduates who couldn't accomplish ABC that we felt that they could. And then that got waylaid for a little bit in 08 because we said we couldn't afford it. It doesn't matter whether they're successful or not. Is there a way that if technology was appropriately applied and the content was there, that that potentially has the ability not to be a silver bullet, but could address both of those situations. Do you think this would be able to engage the less engaged student, maybe even attract? Let's let's mm-hmm. let's let's yeah. talk practical here in Denver. You have students who are oftentimes not making a decision between going to yeshiva in another community, but are making a decision between going to day school at all. Does technology level that playing field for you? Yeah, so I'll tell you one area where, which I think is really important. And this is, any anyone who's a teacher of mine will know this is one of my mantras. Mastery breeds enjoyment. Mastery breeds enjoyment. That's critical um, in every area. T- you know, ask somebody who went through K through 12 day school, and unfortunately these do exist, who can't read fluently to daven, to learn Chumash, whatever it is. If they don't have that fluency... It's, it's what I, uh, you know, I call it the, the friction phenomenon, right? The, the more difficult, the less skills they have, the more the friction and the more difficult it is. Um, so technology has the ability to f- help us fill in those gaps. It's a tool, and if used properly, it could make a huge difference. That alone, to me, can, can be incredibly significant. So you explain, and, and we only have a couple minutes left, Rabbi Alter, and you've been an excellent guest, so uh, thank you for that. We're, we're talking to Rabbi Alter, head of school at Denver Academy of Torah, future head of school of Mariah, Jewish Day School? Mariah, just Mariah in northern New Jersey. Um, we're here on Tech Talk on the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm your host, Ari Elaitso, and you're listening to us on NachumSiegel.com. We are proud to be sponsored by our dear friends at Adorama Camera, more than just a camera store. Please check them out online at Adorama.com or visit them in person at 42 West 18th Street. It, it would be, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you 
about this, what I think is really a revolutionary high school program that you've begun here at the Denver Academy of Torah High School, which is a fairly new initiative. Can you walk our audience through that in, in just a couple of minutes that we've got, why you went that direction, what it is, and sort of where you see that going? Sure. Um, so I, I, I would describe the high school that we, we, we just started a high school a number of years ago, um, and I would describe it as more progressive and experiential than um, pretty much all the other Jewish day school, you know, high schools I've seen. Um, it has a number of components. One is experiential learning. So, for example, in, in two weeks, our students are traveling on one of what, twice a year they have what we call immersions, where they actually spend a, ye- a week out in the field. Um, they spend time before preparing for it and time debriefing afterwards. And, and that's not what we call a trip, right, like other schools have. It's, it's a core component of the curriculum. So, you know, they're, being, they're going to grant the Grand Canyon where they will be studying aspects that tie directly into what they're learning, whether it is Judaics or secular, and Judaics as well, right? They've studied all types of interesting things like the Halachot Mikvot, for example, right, in context of um, Tefillat Kalim, right, um, immersing their, their dishes in preparation for living out in the wilderness, those type of issues. Um, in secular studies as well, Things like the world around them, ecosystems, those are the type of issues that they study. That's one aspect of it. More student choice in general. It's a more holistic environment as well. Um, so some of those, um, you know, some of those pieces, and again, this is probably a whole show for another time, but some of those pieces have, um, you know, you know, the way we describe it, for example, is that, you know, the, 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 the world is the classroom. Right? It's no longer just the class itself. Um, and, and all the recent st- academic studies show that those type of methodologies work and are more successful forms of education. So I'm going to be very blunt with you because that's what I get to do here on my show. Um, you had an opportunity to start a high school from scratch. And my guess is it would be easier to start a high school where you can point and say, we're pretty much like that, we're just located in Denver. And if we bring in the right staff, we bring in the right tools, we bring in the, that's our school and that's our model. What made you decide that you wanted to be at the forefront of this system? So I would say it was a number of lay people to start with who really had this vision. One lay person specifically who um, had become observant, you know, later in life and before that had her children in um, a private school in Denver that is a school, a progressive school for gifted and talented students. She brought some really very interesting and innovative ideas to us. We started exploring them. It was interesting. We actually did a um, a national search to try to find somebody to run this high school as we sort of envisioned it and actually couldn't find anyone in the Jewish day school world. So ended up going outside of the Jewish day school world um, to find the right person to create the vision for for this school. But that's really what it was. It was really being introduced to ideas that, at the beginning, I'm not sure if we, if we even fully grasped what it was we were talking about. I, I feel that's probably fairly similar to the world of education technology, right? We use definitions today that in six months from now or a year from now as we see it, we sort of get it, which is one of the reasons why I was very excited about having the parent immersion in the uh, in the ed tech and them actually going through a blended learning class because you can talk about it, but uh, we have a famous saying that uh, that uh, seeing is believing. Certainly, just hearing about it isn't quite enough. So that's interesting. Just for our audience that's out there, I've had the pleasure and really the privilege of of, of seeing numerous different schools, and the thing that jumps off the page to me 
and this may be a non this just may be the product of being a mid-sized community fairly far removed from other major communities the kids seem to be uh, almost without politics um, now I'm sure they do have politics and they're teenagers and I'm sure they've got all that stuff but the times that I've interacted with them either at the Model UN uh, or on their immersion trips or anything else like that you'll see 11th graders interacting with 9th graders and 9th graders interacting with 12th graders and they might even be taking classes together um, or, or, or guided study whatever it's called at the, at the same time and I saw that it looked almost more like a family than it did like a school or almost more like a camp than it did like a school but you saw the kids obviously uh, gaining and succeeding uh, educationally, if and we only have one minute, uh, two minutes left, Rabbi Alter. If you wanted to leave a message to our listening audience, and I think we will do a whole show on the high school, maybe after your next immersion uh, program, we can hear about it and use that as the guideline for for what's going on. If you could leave one message to the listening audience in terms of education, technology, uh, transitioning from mid-sized community to a larger community, anything along those lines, uh, our audience is anxious to hear what you've got to say. Right. So there's going to sound a little bit like a cliche, but I know that, you know, we always talk about 21st century skills. Um, we, we, we live in an environment where we don't, we can't even imagine the type of jobs that will be available to our children in 10, 15 years. So, so that means that education has to change pretty dramatically. Um, we need to prepare our kids not only in terms of intele- intellectually, but also in terms of emotional intelligence. They need to be more sophisticated, more fluid. Uh, they need to work better in teams. There's so many different skills that are so much more important today than they were 10, 15 years ago. I, I think one of the keys for education, and especially educational technology, is for us to keep our minds open to the possibilities, because I think the possibilities over the next 20, 30 years are going to be really, really exciting. Thank you so much, Rabbi Alter. We appreciate your time. We wish you continued luck in your endeavors in Denver and, and much luck with, uh, with your future endeavors in North Jersey. Uh, this is all that we have for this component of Tech Talk on this week's episode. Uh, thank you for listening to Tech Talk on the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm your host, R.E. Lightstone. You've been listening to us on NachumSiegel.com. As always, we are proud to be sponsored by our dear friends at Adorama Camera, more than just a camera store. Please check them out online at Adorama.com or visit them in person at 42 West 18th Street, and there may be those who have an interest in finding more about Denver Academy of Torah, the community, the school, or the shul. What, what website can we give the listeners out there to see about this innovative community? So .campus.org is the school, and .minion, D-A-T, .minion.org is the shul. Right, D-A-T campus.org and D-A-T minion.org is the shul. Check it out and uh, maybe you're going to find a community that uh, you would be impressed with. Thank you so much. Have a good day.